0: I want to invite you here today to join me in the book of Acts, chapter 22, as we begin our time in the Word together this morning. Uh, at the end of our service today, we have a few people who are going to follow the Lord and believers' baptism. And this is, of course, a very special occasion in the lives of these people as well as in the lives of our church in the life of our church. Uh, in preparation for our last baptism someone here preached an extremely uh, helpful sermon on the meaning and significance of baptism. And that was preached October 2nd of 2022 and I want to commend that sermon to you. I think you'd find it very helpful. Uh, my intent today is not to take you right back through all that was covered in that sermon and go right over that same content. Uh, really what I want to do today is ask you to consider a single question. Uh, have you been baptized? And if not, why not? It's common today for professing Christians to delay and put off getting baptized. And the Bible uh, really is not silent on that matter. And so I want to say at the outset here today that if you have not been baptized, my goal in in no way, shape, or form is to lay guilt on you, try to be the Holy Spirit in your life. Um, I'm not looking to Uh, hit anyone anyone with a double barrel to the chest or twist anyone's arm or anything like that. Uh, What I want to do is just lovingly, tenderly, and pastorally try to put the Word of God before you and just let you see it uh, and let God do what God does through His Word. And my hope and prayer would be that if any work is done here in anyone's life today, it will just very simply be the work of the Word of God. I want to ask you if you would consider doing something here at the outset, Uh, something that I think is an excellent thing for each of us to do every time that the Word of God is open. Uh, But would you consider just praying something like this in your seat right now? Uh, God, I want to hear your Word. Your Word's alive. You've given it to us and for us. And I want to hear your Word. And I, I I want you to know that if your Word speaks to me, as I know it will, because it always does every time it's open, that I'm going to respond to that. And that's really the posture that all of us should have every time we open up the word of God. And just want to encourage you right there in your seat right now to pray something like that to the Lord. Uh, Because baptism is an absolute necessity, if you are a believer, if you are a Christian, you really should get baptized and you should do that without delay. In Acts chapter 22, the apostle Paul recounts his story of calling on the name of Jesus for salvation. He basically said, Jesus, will you save me? Will you save me from from God's uh, wrath for my sin? Will you save me from the eternal judgment that I deserve? Will you cleanse me? I believe in Jesus, that he is God, and that he can save me. And shortly after that happened in the life of Paul, he encountered a man by the name of Ananias, and Ananias said to Paul the words that we find in Acts chapter 22, verse 16. Uh, If you would look at that verse with me. Ananias said this to Paul. He said, and now... Why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. In the context uh, there, Paul, he's just been saved. He's just trusted in Christ. And God has big plans for Paul and how he intends for Paul to serve him. He has a a mission for Paul. Paul, you you go out and I want you to share the good news of Jesus with people. And that's really the same mission that God has for any Christian. But the idea was, okay, Paul, the very first way you're going to do that is by publicly testifying through baptism of the gospel. And then you go out and you tell the world about me. And I would say basically those same words that were said to Paul to you, and now why do you delay? Get up and be baptized. Uh, At the beginning of our sermon here this morning, I want to start by working through four clarifications on what baptism is necessary for, because I think there's a lot of confusion about that. Why does a person need to be baptized? And do you? And the first clarification, uh, kind of stated in negative terms, but very important is this. Baptism is not necessary for salvation. Baptism is not necessary to go to heaven someday. Baptism is not necessary to be cleansed from your sins and to be saved as as we sometimes refer to it. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, you can just listen. I'll read these words in just a moment. Baptism is basically a God-ordained way that an already saved person, someone who's already a Christian, someone who's already on their way to heaven and whose sins have been washed and cleansed, it's a God-ordained way that an already saved person publicly proclaims that he or she has been saved uh, as a gift from God through faith or trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You might think of baptism as a way that a person goes public about something. A person saying, hey, I want to go on record publicly that I'm a Christian, that I have not saved myself, that I have not washed all of my own sins away and made myself clean. Jesus did that for me, and I want you all to know that. This person's basically saying, I'm with Jesus. I'm a Jesus follower. Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and he cleansed me from my sin. How do we know that baptism is not necessary for that? That it's not necessary to be a Christian, to be saved. There are some verses that almost seem to imply that you have to be baptized in order to be saved and be a Christian. Well, just to be really clear, the Bible never contradicts itself. You never have one passage of Scripture that contradicts another passage of Scripture. And so the passages that seem like maybe they're saying that you have to be baptized in order to be saved, those passages need to be interpreted uh, in light of really, really clear statements in the Bible, like the one in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, if you'd look there with me. It says this, for by grace, the idea there is a gift, something that's undeserved, something that's free. For by grace you have been saved through faith or trust. And this is not your own doing. You're not going to ever save yourself. It doesn't work that way. It's a gift of God. It's not a result of works. You don't do this good work and that good work and this one and somehow you become a Christian so that no one may boast. There's not going to be anybody that's going to say, hey, let me tell you how I saved myself. I'm pretty impressive. I I was really bad. (laughs) And then I started doing this good thing and that good thing. And I gave my money to charity. And I did this good deed for that person. And I stopped doing all the bad things. And here I am. I think I'm on my way to heaven now. God says, no, no, absolutely not. Anyone that's on their way to heaven, that's a free gift from me. That I handed to them. An absolutely free gift that nobody works for, nobody pays for. And that gift is received when a person puts their trust in Jesus Christ and his work, that he is God, and that he died for that person's sins on the cross to pay for them, to cleanse that person, and he rose again. Baptism is not necessary for salvation. If it was, it would be a good work. And if that was the case, if a person could be saved by good works, there would need to be no cross of Jesus Christ. And also, just to be clear, not everyone who has been baptized has been saved. Many baptized people will find themselves in hell someday because they never trusted Christ. Maybe they did all sorts of things. They did religious things like get baptized and, or this or that or the other, or read their Bible or go to church. But they never put all of their trust in Jesus Christ to save them from their sins. Do you remember... Uh, the exchange between Jesus and the thief as they both hung side by side on, the cr- uh, on their individual crosses. And this thief had apparently lived in a not-so-great life. He had done all sorts of terrible things to the point that his government thought that he should be executed. He had lived a life of sin. And as he was taking his dying breaths, uh, the Bible records for us, in and, and this man's words, that he put his trust in Jesus Christ. He said to Jesus, remember me. Basically, when when you go to heaven, and Jesus said to him in, in Luke 23, verse 43, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in heaven. You will be with me in the presence of God. It's interesting, that thief hanging there on the cross couldn't unnail himself to the cross, get down and go be baptized so that he could earn his way to heaven. No, Jesus said, you've looked to me for salvation. And today you will be with me in heaven baptism is not necessary for salvation um and and maybe you've been banking your future on the fact that you've done you've been baptized and done other things that is not what the bible teaches jesus wants you to put your trust in him and salvation is given as a free gift um baptism is not necessary for salvation. And so we ask, well, if that's the case, then what is baptism necessary for? Is it even necessary? And I can give you at least a few things that it is necessary for. Our second clarification, baptism is necessary for obedience. Do you realize that the Lord Jesus Christ commands his people, he commands Christians to be baptized? It's a matter of obedience to the Lord. I'd ask you to consider the following verses. I'll read several in a row here. This first one's Matthew 28, uh, verse 19. And Jesus is about to go up into heaven, and he tells his disciples to go, therefore, and make disciples. Make more disciples. Make more people who follow me. In other words, tell other people about me and what I've done for them. Make disciples of all nations. And then he says this, baptizing them in the name of God the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit in the name of the triune God. Jesus says, "That's what's supposed to happen. People are supposed to put their trust in me, get baptized, and live their life for me." Acts two verse thirty-eight says, "Repent," or the idea of being turn, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Acts ten, verse forty-eight. Uh, on, on this occasion, the Gentiles have just received the Holy Spirit, and Peter commanded them. Acts ten forty-eight to be baptized. In the name of Jesus Christ. And then Acts 22, verse 16, a verse we've already considered momentarily. Ananias said to Paul, and now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized. Uh, Not only is baptism explicitly commanded in the scripture, it's also, as as you just read through the the book of Acts, for example, you see that it's the consistent pattern again and again. People uh, put their trust in Christ. They say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I believe what I've heard about you, that you can cleanse me and you can save me. And then they get baptized. That's the pattern. In the scriptures, people repent, they trust Christ, and then they're baptized. And, and actually, in the scriptures, you see that happen often, just almost immediately. Uh, we trust in Christ, and then we, got, then we got baptized. For example, this is Acts 2, verse 41. It, it says of a group of people, so those who received his word, the, the good news about Jesus and what he had done for them, were baptized. This is Acts chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. So they believed and then they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And then Acts 18, verse 8. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. It's just the consistent pattern that you see all throughout the New Testament. Baptism is a matter of obedience to the Lord. Uh, If you are a Christian, if if you say, yes, Jesus has saved me. I've put my trust in him. He's cleansed me from my sins. If you are a Christian and you have willfully chosen not to be baptized or, or you have willfully chosen to put that off for some reason, then according to God and his holy word, you're actually a disobedient Christian because God commands it. Baptism is necessary for obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, If you are a believer, uh, you should get baptized. And maybe this is the first time you're hearing this. Again, I'm not here to lay guilt on you. I just want to put the biblical pattern in front of you. Jesus says uh, people should become his disciples, his followers, and then they should get baptized. Baptism is necessary for obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, God does command that baptism should follow belief. A person trusts Christ. And then they get baptized. And consequently, I think that one of the things that can, can and even should slow down the haste with which we baptize people uh, here at our church is the endeavor to confirm belief. We, we don't just want to be baptizing anybody and everybody. We want to, hey, have you trusted Christ? Are you a believer? Do you understand what that means? We want to take the time to sit down with people and make sure that they understand the good news and that they're not relying on themselves and their good works to get to heaven and they have put their trust in Jesus Christ. And with young children in particular, I think this is especially the case where uh, we often want to slow down and, okay, does this child understand the gospel? What's mom and dad's sense on this and, and their child's faith um, before we proceed with baptism? But again, big picture, I would just reiterate, if you are a believer, Uh, Baptism is necessary to be obedient to the Lord. A third clarification based on that last one. Baptism is necessary then for a healthy conscience. Uh, When you know what God says you should do, and then you willfully resist that, not only are you disobeying the Lord and grieving the Holy Spirit, uh, you're actually also doing great harm to this very, very special gift that God has given you called your conscience. Um, in First Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, uh, that verse offers a vivid picture for us of the kind of damage that can be done to the conscience. And Paul, uh, he mentions a group of unbelievers, people who aren't Christians, but they too have consciences. And he describes them as insincere liars based on what these people were doing. And here's his wording, whose consciences are seared. And the idea is that their their consciences were no longer functioning properly because it's as if their consciences had been burned. I could take a tender piece of meat and I could sear it so that uh, what was once tender and soft becomes hard and calloused and tough. And at least it has maybe a, a, a seared outer layer. Just as certain activities will turn the tender flesh of your hands and your feet into insensitive calluses, certain things will turn a tender conscience into one that's hard and tough. Resisting God's word and the promptings of his spirit are one of those activities, whether it's with baptism specifically or any other thing that God says in his word. If you say, yes, I see that and I know that, but I'm not going to do it. You've seen God's word, his spirit has just prompted you, your conscience is just Uh, uh, you've sensed something in your conscience about what you should do and you say no, it's like to your conscience. You're searing it. You're damaging it. And that is no way to start your Christian life. The conscience is a special gift from God to be valued, to be taken care of. What's the right thing to do with your conscience? Well, uh, I think God would have you take great pains to make sure that your conscience is always clear. That there's nothing on your conscience that's bothering you. that I, I should do this, or I should have done that, or I need to make this right and I haven't, whatever the case may be. In Acts 24, verse 16, Paul said, So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Uh, in 1 Timothy 3, verse 9, uh, it's uh, a passage that talks about deacons, And it's basically highlighting the importance of people holding, to use the language of the verse, holding the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. Hebrews 13 verse 18 says, pray for us for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. Uh, Elsewhere, the Bible mentions uh, a good conscience. What would that be? Well, presumably a a good conscience is a conscience that's been uh, calibrated to the word of God. And that's then at rest and in harmony with God's word. And that's the type of conscience that all of us want to have. So what's the biblical pattern or example that God gives you regarding your conscience? Take great pains to make sure that your conscience is always clear. Because baptism is necessary to be obedient to the Lord, it consequently becomes necessary for you to have and maintain a healthy conscience. Um, So if you know that you need to be baptized and you're confident you've trusted Christ, I'd just encourage you, uh, come be baptized. We can set up a time for that. Um, I've been focusing on baptism specifically here, but maybe there's some other matter in your life that you need to deal with um, and you have a guilty conscience about something. Or, or you have known truth, you've known something you should do or not do or whatever the case may be, and you're taking your conscience and, or, and, and basically just saying no. And you're doing damage to that precious gift that God has given you called your conscience. And if there's something that you need to deal with, go do it. Fourth clarification on what baptism is necessary for, and I I think you might find this very interesting here, this next point. Baptism is necessary uh, for any kind of meaningful participation in the Lord's Supper. Maybe I can explain that a little bit. Perhaps you've never given much thought to or heard much about the relationship between baptism and the Lord's Supper, uh, the two ordinances. Throughout church history, many Christians have viewed baptism actually as a prerequisite uh, to participation in the Lord's Supper. And let me give you an example of that from the 1833 New Hampshire Confession of Faith. So this is a confession of faith that's almost 200 years old now. And then we'll try to wrestle with the rationale behind the viewpoint that's expressed here and see if it's biblical. This is coming from the New Hampshire Confession of Faith, Article 14, which is titled, Of Baptism and the Lord's Supper, and it reads this way. We believe that Christian baptism is the immersion in water of a believer into the name of the Father and Son and Holy Ghost, or Holy Spirit, to show forth in a solemn and beautiful emblem our faith and the crucified, buried, and risen Savior, with its effect in our death to sin and resurrection to new life, that it, baptism, is prerequisite to the privileges of a church relation and to the Lord's Supper, in which the members of the church, by sacred use of bread and wine, are to commemorate together the dying love of Christ, preceded always by solemn self-examination. Okay, question for you. Why would this particular confession of faith and others like it state that baptism is prerequisite to the Lord's Supper? And is that viewpoint even biblical? Well, I can think of at least two solid reasons for uh, coming to that conclusion. I'll put them before you and you wrestle through it for yourself. Uh, One would be this. The Lord's Supper should be taken by obedient Christians. As we've already seen, baptism is necessary for you to be obedient to the Lord. If you've trusted Christ, he's commanded you to be baptized. And if you're going to be obedient to him, you need to be. And if you know that God expects something of you, that he expects you to do that uh, without delay, and and that you have not done it, what what one word would best describe the decision not to be baptized? What would we call that? Consider the very practical words of, of James chapter 4, verse 17. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. I think that's our word, sin. It, and specifically speaking of a person, they have opened up their Bible, they have seen what God said in it. They said, I'm not going to do that. Or I'm not going to do that now. If you know God wants you to be baptized and you're choosing to hold back, you're actually disobeying God. Back to the idea of the Lord's Supper, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six 26-28 says this, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. The context there, the Corinthian Christians were coming to the Lord's Supper with sin in their life. Gross, blatant sin. And they were coming to the Lord's table as if all of this was no big deal. Oh yeah, you know, we can have that and we'll come to the Lord's table and take the the bread and take the wine and we'll remember Christ's death with blatant sin in their lives. And God warns them there in First Corinthians, that passage that I just read. God warns, don't come to my table like that. If you will not obediently proclaim the Lord's death on your behalf by publicly being baptized, then you really shouldn't be proclaiming it by participation in the Lord's Supper. And again, if you're just realizing that God commands you to be baptized, you should certainly get baptized, Right? I'm not telling you in that instant, like you're hearing this for the first time today, I'm not telling you that you're in sin per se, but if you know that you should be baptized and you're holding out you're not, that is a problem. A sin problem. The Lord's Supper should be taken by obedient Christians. There's another reason, though, to support the idea that baptism uh, should be prerequisite to the Lord's Supper. And again, you can wrestle with these things uh, for yourself. But here's another thought. The Lord's Supper actually follows baptism logically, and we might even say theologically. As you think about how the two ordinances relate to each other, uh, the one ordinance, baptism, uh, logically or theologically precedes the other, the Lord's Supper. Uh, Through the waters of baptism, a person publicly proclaims, I'm a Christian, and Jesus has saved me, and I want to proclaim Christ's death on my behalf through baptism, because that's what God commands me to do. And the church, to the best of her knowledge, is affirming that with the person, like what we will have the privilege to do today with three people who are going to be baptized. We get to celebrate with them. They're saying, I'm a Christian, and Jesus has cleansed me. And we get to say with them, praise God. We're so glad that Jesus has cleansed you of your sins and that you have new life. However, what happens when the church can no longer affirm the credibility of a person's profession of faith due to unrepentant sin. I want you to turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and I, I just want to read a text, text of Scripture here in a moment from that chapter, 1 Corinthians 5. In the context here in this book, there was a man who was living in unrepentant sin. He had sin in his life. He didn't want to give it up, wouldn't repent. And the Apostle Paul said of the Corinthians that you cannot have communion. You cannot have fellowship with this man and celebrate what he refers to as the festival. You you cannot celebrate the gospel with this man as if all is well. That doesn't work. You cannot share table fellowship or communion with this man at any table, let alone my table. Look at First Corinthians 5, and you'll see Paul talking about this beginning in verse 4. I'll read down through verse 13. Paul says, For I am not aware of anything against myself. Oh, sorry, I'm in the wrong chapter. Sorry to confuse you there. Chapter 5, verse 4. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus. You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival. He's speaking back to uh, making a lot of Old Testament references there. But the picture is, let's celebrate the gospel together. Not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And then verse 9, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world. Or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. The idea of, of, of Christian. If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed. Or as an idolater, or reviler, drunkard or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church Whom you are to judge, God judges those outside, purge the evil person from among you. We see from that passage that there are times in the life of the church when God's people, due to unrepentant sin in the life of a person, can no longer affirm that person's the credibility of that person's profession of faith. Hey, I'm a Jesus follower. All of a sudden the church can't affirm that. Maybe they don't know for sure, but they can't say, yes, we agree. And the under, unrepentant person, according to this passage, must be, to use a, a word that's sometimes used, is, is, must be excommunicated. But what we might actually say is that that person must be excommunioned. Or we might even say ex-Lord suppered from the communion and fellowship of the body. We come to the Lord's table and we celebrate his death. We celebrate the festival. We celebrate the gospel the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus on our behalf. And we cannot do that while blatantly ignoring sin. So to bring, bring this whole idea together, in baptism, a person is saying, hey, I'm a Christian. I'm a Jesus follower. I want to celebrate publicly for all to see the, 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 the death of Jesus Christ. I want to publicly proclaim that through baptism. And the church is saying in affirmation, to the best of our knowledge, we think you're a Christian. And in the Lord's Supper, one of the many, many dynamics that's going on, the church is saying, really, with everyone who's participating in that meal at the same time, we still think that you are a Christian. And it's a wonderful occasion as we take the Lord's Supper together. So uh, putting all that together, there is a real sense in which the one ordinance, baptism, logically and theologically precedes the other, the Lord's Supper. So in that sense, we might say that baptism is necessary for any kind of real meaningful participation in the Lord's Supper. Um, I've been asked by parents a few times now uh, what I've thought has just been an excellent question. Uh, The the question goes something like this. We believe our child has trusted Christ. Uh, He or she hasn't been baptized yet. And the parent's asking about the Lord's Supper. What do we do with our child, and what do you think? And uh, it's a great question because I think often parents of young children are really wrestling with that. Baptism's great. The Lord's Supper's great. Um, If our child's a a Christian, how do we navigate all this? What do you think? And my encouragement typically goes something like this. Use that opportunity, the Lord's Supper question, the Lord's Supper discussion to have the baptism conversation, to point back to baptism. That seems to be the best starting point uh, because baptism is necessary for any kind of real meaningful participation in the Lord's Supper. Um, I don't know that I'd feel comfortable saying if if you haven't been baptized and you've participated in the Lord's Supper that that you've definitely categorically sinned, but I think it's worth considering all these theological things that are going on and uh, keep going back to the baptism conversation. Well, with the remainder of our time, I just want to briefly go through seven common reasons for resisting God's call to be baptized. Because I think it's a real thing for some people. And here's uh, one of the first ones that came to my mind. Why wouldn't a person want to be baptized or delay? And maybe the first reason for that could be something like this. You, You actually haven't been saved. Could it be that what baptism testifies to hasn't happened in your life? Again, baptism is a public testimony. I'm a Christian, and Jesus saved me. He cleansed me from my sins. And maybe the reason that you haven't been baptized is because you know, I'm not actually saved. I'm not actually a Christian. And I would commend you because that's actually a good reason not to be baptized. I, I commend you for not being baptized yet. But you know that God wants that to change. God wants you to know the joy of all of your sins literally being washed away. He wants you to know the joy of being cleansed from all of that and and going from a person who's in bondage and slavery to sin to being set free where all of a sudden you can resist your sin and you can say no to it and you can change. And God has made that possible for you through the work of Jesus Christ. He is God. And He died for you to pay the price for your sins and to satisfy God's wrath over your sins. And He's calling you, as we saw in verse after verse and verse after verse, to believe. God, what you say is true. I am a sinner. I believe that. I acknowledge that. And I trust that Jesus alone can save me from my sins. God, will you save me? And He will. And if you haven't done that, I just encourage you, maybe even right here today as you're sitting in your seat, God, would you save and cleanse me, I believe. Or if you want to talk more, I'd love to talk with you about that. Is it a lack of salvation holding you back? Confess your sin to God, place your trust in Jesus, and ask him to save you and give you new life. A second common reason for resisting God's call to be baptized, I think, with a lot of people, maybe you lack or wrestle with assurance. You're not, you don't have an assurance that you are a Christian. You, one moment, maybe you think you are. The next moment, you're like, ah, I don't know. I think I am. Ah. And maybe you're, you're one of those people that you've literally laid up in bed at night and you have prayed a hundred times in a row asking Jesus to save you or whatever the case may be. Do you know what God's heart is towards you? God wants you to know with 100% confidence, not 99.9%, but 100% confidence that you are saved. That you are cleansed from your sins, that you are His child, and that you are on your way to heaven. Maybe you've heard someone say, well, you can never actually know that. Do you realize how much garbage that is? That is not at all what God says. If anybody tells you that, they are absolutely, categorically wrong. And I can show it to you really easy from the Bible. Not from my words, but from God's. This is John chapter 5, verse 24. And this is Jesus speaking. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. And Jesus just made a dogmatic assertion. And in 1 John chapter 5, verses 12 to 13, I think it becomes even clearer. We read there, whoever has the Son, or Jesus, has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. If you have Jesus, you have eternal life. If you do not have Jesus categorically, you do not have eternal life. Period. Whoever has the Son, whoever has Jesus as their Lord and Savior has life. And John continues to write there in verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. That's Jesus. Why? That you may know, that you may have confidence that you have eternal life. God wants you to know that you're a Christian and that you're saved and that if you were to die today, you'd be on your way to heaven. And you can have that confidence. And there's nobody that wants you to have that more than Jesus Christ himself, more than the Lord God wants you to know with 100% confidence that you have eternal life. You can know that. And if you're one of these people and you're, I don't know, or I'm confused or I don't understand or one day I think I'm a Christian and the next day I I just don't know. I would personally love to help you with that if you would like to chat about that. And there may be others, maybe even someone who you know well here at church that'd be happy to. I'd say for myself, I'd love to chat with you about that. Just come see me. But you know, that's something you can get settled. You could have that settled today, even before you leave this room. Is it a lack of assurance holding you back? Third common reason for resisting God's call to be baptized maybe you have undealt with sin. Maybe you're holding on to something and it just doesn't work, you know, this hold on to my sin and do things that God tells me to do at the same time. And that sin is holding you back. And again, what should you do? Well, I don't think the answer to that's very complicated. God wants you to, God, here's my sin, I give it to you, I need to press forward. And I want to obey, confess that to God and move forward. Is sin holding you back? Fourth common reason, I think this one is extremely common, is that you fear other people. You might really be holding out on baptism, and and if you're honest, at the end of the day, it comes down to one single factor. And that factor is other people. You're afraid, perhaps, what you will look like, you know, coming up out of the water, (laughs) just wet. (laughs) People don't normally see me like this. Um, Or what you'll sound like if you stand up and share your story. Or what your family or friends will think of you or how they'll treat you going forward. Maybe for some of you, nothing would change in in your relationships if you got baptized. For others of you, if you did that, you're like, oh, there's going to be some changes relationally. And that's really, that sits there heavy on your mind. Proverbs 29, verse 25 says that the fear of man lays a snare. But whoever trusts the Lord is safe. God cautions us, if you fear other people, that fear will lay in front of you a snare, a trap. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Hebrews 13, verse 6 says, So we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will will not fear. What can man do to me? Just a a real uh, thought-provoking question for you. Why do your fears, your anxieties, your worries, and the people all around you even get a vote in a matter like this? The vote of the Lord Jesus Christ should be the only vote that matters. And yet oftentimes, we give other people and all of our emotions and fears the biggest vote. Is the fear of man holding you back? And again, if that's something you want to talk about, I'm happy to do that. Um, it's our practice here to have people, as we'll do in just a few moments, come and publicly share their story of what Jesus has done for them before they're baptized. Uh, but I do want you to know that that is uh, not a requirement. And I have often told people, hey, listen, we would love for you to sh- Share your story with us because we're going to celebrate with you. We just love to hear the stories of, of what God has done in people's lives. But if that just oh, I just don't know if I can do that. Um, if you wrote your story out, I'd be happy to read it. Uh, basically, what I'm trying to say is please don't let something like that hold you back. What's biblical is being baptized. And we don't ever want to put something in the way of that for people. Uh, fifth reason Sometimes people resist. You don't understand what baptism is or why you should do it. And fair enough. Um, That's important. And I can help you with that. Other people can help you with that. I mentioned a sermon that I think would be very helpful to you, but that, again, can be resolved. Is it a misunderstanding of baptism that's holding you back? And what I'd encourage you there, we'll do something about it Um, and follow the Lord. A sixth reason, maybe, maybe you keep telling yourself that you'll do it later. Uh, Maybe that's even how you ease your conscience, right? Uh, Maybe there's some guilt in your conscience and you tell, hey, I'm going to do that later. Okay, I feel a little bit better now (laughs) because I'm going to do it. Uh, Maybe you say, I know I need to be baptized and I will do that someday, tomorrow, tomorrow. Do you realize that we could say that Satan is the God, lowercase g, of tomorrow? Um. He does not care when you do something as long as it's always tomorrow. He loves that. J.C. Ryle, in his little book, Thoughts for Young Men, said this. This is an old book. Tomorrow is the devil's day, but today is God's. Satan does not care how spiritual your intentions are or how holy your resolutions. If only they are determined to be done tomorrow. Oh, give not place, he says, to the devil in this matter. Answer him, no, Satan, it shall be today, today. In our house, we tell our kids, we have this little saying that slow obey is no obey. And you get that idea, right? I I tell one of my children to come, and they're like, hey, Dad, I'm going to play with toys for five more minutes first, and then I'm going to come. That's not obedience. Slow obey is no obey. And if God tells you to do something in his word, putting it off is not obedience, It's procrastination holding you back. And uh, one more reason I think that people don't get baptized or they really delay it is because they don't think that baptism is that big of a deal. And maybe you've thought like this, well, I know that baptism is important, but it's not really that important. I mean, you don't have to be baptized to be saved. Okay, well, just follow the question of that. How many of the commands in this book do you have to follow to be saved? Well, not most of them. But that doesn't mean that all these commands are not important. In the time of the apostles, the idea of an unbaptized believer was basically unheard of. The the idea that baptism is not that important simply does not jive with scripture. In fact, it is the very first way that the Lord Jesus Christ wants you to go out and share the good news with the people around you. Acts 2 verse 38 says this, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. And that verse that I just read, in the exact same breath that the Lord commands salvation, repent, he also commands baptism. I don't think we could say, well, it's not that big of a deal. And is that mentality the kind of thing that's holding you back? Because that thinking needs to change. So, uh, what is holding you back? Again, I want to reaffirm that the last thing I want to do here, I mean, I've been pretty direct, I recognize that, but the last thing I want to do is twist your arm or coerce you to do something through guilt. Um, I'm personally no reason for you to do anything. But God's word is. And if you've looked at God's word and you believe, you know what I do actually, like I need to be baptized. I, maybe I never realized it even until today or maybe I've known for a long time and you want to, you want to be baptized. I just encourage you with this. Come see me. Uh, come see our, our other hel- elder, Greg Hunter. Um, come talk to us and, and we can talk about baptism and we can set up a time uh, for that to happen and we'll do our best to do that in a timely fashion. Baptism is an absolute necessity. And if you are a believer, you should get baptized. I want to leave you with the words of Ananias to Paul. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on his name. In just a moment, we're going to celebrate with three people as they obediently do that. As they obediently go on record publicly that Jesus is their Lord and Savior. And this is an opportunity for all of us to celebrate and rejoice in God's work in their lives and to celebrate the gospel. And I hope you will do that, that you will celebrate the gospel with these people that will do that together as a church this morning. Uh, Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes at this time, if you would,